Welcome to the Hayes Salespeople Podcast, where we talk to the brightest minds in modern sales and get their tips and advice on all things sales. I'm your interim host, Jenna Sachs from SalesLoft. Hey, salespeople. Today, I want to welcome Isla Gold to the podcast. Hey, Isla. Hey, how are you? Thanks for having me. Great. I'm doing well. Thanks for being here. Isla is an enterprise account executive at Stripe, a financial infrastructure platform for businesses to accept payments, grow their revenue, and accelerate new business opportunities. So again, super excited to have you here. Uh, We generally like to kick this off with an icebreaker and being on the topic of sales. Is there a book that you've read recently or just a book that that has shaped your career in sales? Mm, Great question. I actually, I was thinking about rereading The Challenger. Um, I have not read that one in a couple of years, but the the book that comes to mind, if I think about the one that's had the most amount of impact on me, is Never Split the Difference by Christopher Voss. One of the reasons I love this book is because it's about, I think, you know, this guy used to negotiate, you know, hostage, hostage situations and he worked with the Israelis. And it's something that's interesting about me is I started my career actually in Israel in media and ad tech and I kind of, you know, started in my sales career uh, when I didn't even really know that I wanted to work in sales. I, for some reason, wanted to stay out of sales and sales found me. But I started uh, in, in Israel and learned how to sell from the Israelis. Yeah, I think that's a super interesting perspective. I, you know, we've heard that book a few times on the podcast, but would love to know more about how the negotiation tactics, especially in an Israeli environment, shaped some of what you were doing over there when you started your career. You know, at the beginning, this guy who does not have, you know, he's not, he doesn't have this Ivy League pedigree and he's not, you know, super educated. And he goes to this negotiation class at Harvard and he crushes and he like beats everybody, you know, at all these different negotiation tactics. And yeah, I kind of think about that, you know, as, as myself, right? Experience kind of trumps a lot of other things, right? If, if we're thinking about what makes a salesperson a good salesperson, it's experience, it's learning from your mistakes it's recognizing when you've made mistakes. It's recognizing when you need to be aggressive, recognizing when you need to pull back and challenge, you know, challenge your customers versus, you know, let your customers, customers be right, et cetera. So I think a lot of what I learned uh, in Israel is how to get shit done. It's a very aggressive environment. And I learned how to be scrappy, right? Even, you know, junior, more junior in my career, high energy, just trying to succeed and figure, figure things out. I just kind of uh, learned how to bulldoze through things that would, you know, otherwise, otherwise stop me, which has been, you know, helpful more times than it has been unhelpful, but definitely, definitely different than a lot of other uh, salespeople and and people in general that I encounter. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I've definitely seen some of your selling firsthand and can again attest to the bulldozer attitude, but, you know, I think it's made you really successful overall and, you know, super excited to get more insight from you as well. So obviously that book is, about negotiating and that that happens throughout the entire sale right from the beginning you're starting that negotiation even just in discovery and understanding things but one thing we talked about before we started recording was really qualifying opportunities in an enterprise sale and just understanding when you're having those initial conversations really understanding whether or not this is actually a viable opportunity i would love to know your thought process there and how you go about it yeah, great question. Qualifying opportunities. I think this is one of the most important parts of our our jobs, right? We have to we have to produce. It's it's salespeople's jobs to produce for our companies and making sure we have enough pipeline, enough coverage to ensure that we're able to hit our numbers and, you know, support the the goals of our of our company kind of relies on us being able to qualify opportunities. So, 
you know, especially in, in a tumultuous environment like now, budgets are budgets are being ripped, things are getting pushed, and, and that happens. It's going to happen. I think when it comes to qualifying opportunities, it's just making sure that you're not, you know, you're not lying to yourself, right? Salespeople tend to get happy ears. Salespeople tend to be optimistic when things are going great. And we had a great conversation. It was the best conversation we ever had, you know, with, with this customer, but the customer kind of goes back and has a conversation with the boss. And the boss is like, talk to me about this in six months. If we don't know that happens behind the scenes, we could waste hundreds of hours over the next couple of months on an opportunity that's going to go cold for the next couple of quarters. So staying aligned with the right stakeholders and asking the, the annoying, I, right? I call it the annoying sales questions. I like saying that out loud because it kind of breaks the ice. It like chops down that fourth wall. Customers like it when I recognize that I'm asking these questions that aren't always nice, but that's our job. So making sure we're asking the right questions, making sure we know what the customer is trying to get out of our conversations. Our customer knows we want commitment. We want to you know, ensure timing. We'd want to ensure that our success plans are, are aligned, but making sure that throughout the sales process that we're still aligned with the company's, our customers' main goals, I think is very, very important. Consistently qualifying and requalifying and requalifying to the point of psychosis, I think is, is a smart way to look at it. <laughs> I mean, that's a great point. I think always requalifying something, right? We, we think of the typical BANT qualification and getting something into pipeline initially. But to your point, you're not only qualifying that initially, you might be qualifying that there's a need, that there's maybe some pain points, that there's a potential fit at some point. But as you mentioned, there's different stakeholders that can come in and completely squash the deal. There are just all these different factors that at play that if you're not constantly checking in and saying, is this really something that's still viable, then it's impossible to actually forecast that and have the success you want there, or you spend a lot of time just wasting your time. Yeah. And in addition to, you know, constantly qualifying, you know, your opportunities, mitigating risk and mitigating when things go sideways and they always will and they always do. But, you know, for example, you know, a sales rep, I have say, you know, X opportunity goes sideways and I made a mistake in qualifying it and the time gets totally, you know, shot out to the next fiscal year. I have, you know, three or four or five others that I can kind of pull forward and, and take the place of whatever revenue or whatever whatever deal I had to push out and the same goes for sales managers and, and revenue leaders at all. It's you know hedging your bets and make sure making sure that you have enough coverage just to to make sure that you're spreading your time wisely and you're you're spending your time on the right on the right things. And you personally, how do you manage competing opportunities and and really understanding the level of qualification that's there to make sure that you have enough hedge? Because you know you can get you can obviously have a ton of different opportunities that might not be completely qualified, but you really do need, like you said, three or four at least that are going to be that meaty, high value deal that can replace something if it does go sideways. So how do you find and, and maintain your relationships with the most qualified within the quarter or whatever fiscal period we're talking about? Yeah, that's a good one. There's the science and an art to that. I think the science is just hedging the numbers and really being honest with yourself and your customers about when when you're going to be able to get something done and planning in advance, right? If I know that I need to bring in, you know, $400,000 or whatever in Q3 or Q4, making sure that I have that I have, you know, 3 or 4x in opportunities that I'm working on or as close to it as as possible, right? The more the better. But just being really really honest with yourself about if something's going to get done and then of course going to your your mentors and your leaders and your 
your managers to also keep you honest as well. They they have purview into more deals and more opportunities across the organization where they can kind of call you out if you're missing something, if you have blind spots, we all do. So just relying on, you know, yourself and your your experience seeing if things are going to get going to going to happen or not, whether it's at your existing company or a previous company and having as many eyes on the deal as possible, right? I love bringing as many people as possible into my deals because if I'm missing something, if I have other people in in with in the boat with me, then they're going to call me out if I miss something or I make a mistake or whatever it is, right? We all do. Being humble about your deals and not being, you know, selfish or snooty about them, I think is is helpful too. It just benefits everybody when you're able to like have a clear view of what's going on. Yeah. I mean, it goes back to the whole no deal is close one or close lost alone. <laughs> and, you know, it is really that team effort, you know, with the AE as that quarterback and making sure that everything does fall into place, but that, you know, you're, you're checking each other when something is off because you don't want to be scrambling last minute. You know, so, so throughout this, obviously a big part of selling and qualifying and making sure that everything goes as smoothly as possible, again, it's always going to go sideways in some capacity, is identifying those pain points and really making sure that you're re-qualifying and rechecking in, like you said, on some of the pain points, on some of the needs. How do you go about really getting to the nitty gritty of the pain the customer's feeling? Yeah. So there's, there's several ways to do this. And I think you know, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it make it drink. Like unless the customer is feeling pain and like actively like pushing that, you're like whatever whatever issue is happening, they're like constantly pushing down on that bruise that's making their lives miserable. Unless there's enough pain and you can kind of quantify the the impact of that, it's just risk that you don't want to have in your deal cycles, right? So if you are able to, you know, build out a business value assessment or an ROI case or however it is you quantify value and you're able to consistently again going back to the qualification you're you're asking is this still a problem is this still what you guys are experiencing if we're in enterprise sales and we're running deals that are 12 18 months a lot can change on the other side of of a conversation in that amount of time is this still the most important problem that you're dealing with is this still aligned with what your executives are looking to solve for is this still aligned with what your, I don't know, stockholders want to see? Just continuously keeping on top of your business, staying, know, knowing the customer's business better than they know themselves, right? I think that's a super important one. I love learning that in sales training throughout the years, just making sure that you're still aligned with what's actually happening versus making up stories in your head or again, you know, happy ears. Staying on top of your stuff, making sure that you're on top of your business, on top of your deals. You know your customer, your customer trusts you. And you're able to have really honest conversations with with both your customer, the decision makers, right? We don't want to be negotiating and and holding our pipeline hostage with the with the wrong with the wrong people. Has there been a time, and I'm I'm guessing the answer is yes, because I feel like this happens in any sales career, right? Where you have something right at the finish line, and then maybe there was a decision maker that came out of the woodwork and squashed that deal. Oh yeah, I mean. I've made a ton of mistakes in my career and most people have. And there's always surprises at the end of a deal. You have to lose a deal. Steve Goldberg taught me this. You have to lose a deal a couple of times before you win it, especially a big impactful one. And I found that to be true. Generally, if you're like, like we've been talking about, if you're requalifying and you're on top of the business, you're on, you're, you're really aligned with your, the business buyer, you're really aligned with the technical buyer, the decision makers, procurement, legal, if you have a handle on all of the different moving parts of your opportunity, the surprises at the end should be minimal. 
But of course, you know, you get to the end of a end of a deal and all of a sudden the CEO who's signing is like, well, wait, what is this? Why am I spending, you know, a million dollars on X, Y, and Z software? And it's like, haven't you been talking to the CEO the whole time? Well, if you didn't ask those questions throughout the past, you know, 10 months, then you won't know. So yeah, if you wait till the end of the quarter, you might not have time to go back and repitch the CEO if that's what, you know, if that's what you need to do. This is just an example or create a new ROI case, you know with the metrics that the CEO cares about. But if six months ago, eight months ago, when we were building the original ROI case, I was asking the right questions. Is this what the CEO cares about? Are these the metrics that the CEO would want to see when he's looking at the price tag in 10 months when this contract is on his desk? Let's say that was the example. If I had asked that question you know, previously, we could have built a better business case to avoid whatever you know mishap comes at the end. Yeah. I mean, I, I I love hearing the answer to that because I, I always think back to an experience in my career where I was actually the buyer. I guess I was more the champion, right? And got a deal all the way to the finish line. We had C-level engagement. We had C-level approval, but not the CEO. Once it got to the CEO, it was, let's roll this back. We have to now re repitch it, refigure everything out. And you know, even just as a, an internal champion, it's something that maybe this was the first deal that I was really working on as a purchaser of something. And to see that all go sideways when it was something that I had my boss's approval, I knew I wanted, I knew that I needed. And now having to work with the sales rep on, okay, let's kind of roll this back and figure out what went wrong so we can make sure we, we salvage this. And we did. But again, a lot of people internally have that like a little bit of disorganization and structural stuff. So if there's not that knowledge at the beginning, I think it is pretty crucial. Yeah. And and here, whoever was selling to you did a really good job of turning you into a champion, right? But maybe that salesperson could have done, I, I don't know you know, exactly what you're talking about, but helping customers buy what you're selling is also a big part of our job. Maybe if the, if the sales rep, again, I, I don't know, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, but maybe if the sales rep had kind of primed you and prepped you for, by the way, usually you know, the CEO will ask X, X, Y, and Z towards the end, or it's all about selling the right way, but it's also helping our buyers buy the right way and, and arming our champions and our buyers with the information necessary for them to go and resell internally. That's also very, very important. Yeah. What kind of collateral or materials do you generally provide when you're doing that? Yeah, it depends. Um, I mean, now I'm selling dozens of different products and uh, aligning solutions according to customer challenges. So it depends on the exact problem that I'm solving. But as I get more and more senior in my career and work on bigger and, and more exciting opportunities, the collateral be- is becoming more and more custom. The solutions are becoming more and more custom, or they should be becoming more complex. So working with your internal team, your strategy folks, your product folks, your solution arcs, your sales engineers, making sure that you're creating the story that you want to be telling, not just in your presentations, but between your presentations, between your you know, check marks on your mutual success plan? Am I, am I sending the right information to confirm with my customer that this, this is an industry problem that other customers are seeing, for example, that other brands are experiencing? So it's about, it's about telling the right story and it's about working with your team to make sure that you're using all of the resources that you have. Yeah, and I think it goes back to that idea of just what you can control and really being able to focus on 
key points that you can give to that champion or even if it is the person signing the contract so that they end up not making a negative, that's a double negative, sorry, um, so that they can make a good impression internally for, you know, purchasing this this type of product. You know, I think a lot of the times there's, there is that emotion as a buyer where you're like, this is a huge thing for me if we get this in the door and I need to prove that it's successful because I'm the one pushing for it. But, you know, on the sales side, you can help guide that and help control some of the narrative that's happening internally by giving them that support. So I'd love to, you know, segue that a little bit into just focusing on what you can control as a salesperson in general. You know, how do you make sure that you're focusing on the right things there and, you know, the things that are outside of your control, how do you navigate that? That's a tough one. That is a really hard one. I think a lot of sales reps, me included, um, have a hard time with that. I think a lot of successful reps are really emotional and get get obsessed with success and we don't want to let ourselves down. We don't want to let our boss down. We don't want to let our customers down and we get upset if things go wrong or we get emotional based on uh, you know a conversation that might not be exactly what we want to hear. So uh, you know I've had to do a lot of work in this department making sure that thinking about things, you know, <laughs> clearly and professionally, right? Obviously if my if my pipeline is perfect, if I'm on top of all of my business. If I've done my job and educating, you know, and qualifying my opportunities, then if and when things do go, you know, sideways or there's a hiccup in in some part of the process, and I can't control the market, I can't control the the economy, I can't control if budgets are cut, you know, eighty percent across of a customer. I can't control that. But what I can control is my reaction. I can control how I respond to that. I can control, you know, using whatever it is that I'm learning in one deal towards another deal and trying to mitigate risk across other opportunities, thinking about things, you know, strategically and and thoughtfully and just working as smartly as possible. I said, you know, I kind of started the conversation by by saying, you know, I learned how to do sales in, in like a bulldozer way. So a lot of my work and a lot of what I've learned is looking at things through a different lens and seeing, okay, I, maybe I can't bulldoze this door down, but is there a window that I can climb through? So yeah, it's it's focusing on what you can control and being creative and thinking creatively about how you can accomplish what it is you need to accomplish, even if you know the line to get there is not as is not you know as straight and perfect as as we want it to be because it, it never is. We need to be creative. We need to be thoughtful. Use your resources. Use your team. Use the right collateral. Use your executives. So it's a fine art. <laughs> it's figuring out how to do everything in the right way possible. And no, and you can rinse and repeat processes, but no two deals are the same. So looking at things with the beginner's mind and making sure that you're not just kind of blindly going down down a path is also really important. Just being thoughtful about where you are in an opportunity and and what you, what it is you can control. Yeah, I mean, obviously, process is really helpful as a guideline, but a lot of the people you're selling to are different personalities, different motives. You know, sometimes someone might push you through the deal faster than you even want to go. Sometimes they'll be a way, probably more often, they'll be way slower than you want to go. Uh, you know, you mentioned the topic of creativity. I would love to know if you have an example, and you don't have to name names of the deal or any, you know, companies or anything specific here, but an example of when you've had to be really, really creative in getting a deal done. I've had to, you know, leverage a lot of different resources and and kind of levers towards the end of an opportunity to get it in at the quarter. For example, I was 
I've given, you know, I've, I've had to leverage consulting hours in exchange for a tight timeline and getting a deal done. If a deal doesn't get done by, you know, the end of the month, the last day of the month, then it, the price goes up 10%, things like that, which I guess might not be the most creative, but I had a customer who wanted to speak on stage at our annual event. So I worked towards seeing if we could get him a speaking slide and, uh, you know, onward at, at Yaxt in, in exchange for getting a contract done on time, things like that. Yeah, I think it's also helpful. I know I, I love the onward example too, because I think it's it's one of those things where if you have, you know, a really, if you have strong offerings and a strong like community and things like that, where you can work with marketing, I mean, it, it highlights the importance of working with something like marketing to get a deal done, right? Where, where marketing you think of maybe as lead gen, but no, they're actually driving things along as well if you need that support. And I think even just having that creative solution of, this speaker slot is going to actually close us this big deal and, and get something done that we really, really need or, you know, get a, a good customer in, in the door, then um, let's see if we can make it happen. And I mean, it's not always going to be a, yes, we can make this happen, whatever the customer wants, but it's good to have those options and and think outside of the box when you're doing that. And it's not just about price, right? It's not like, hey, we need to do this to get the discount. Obviously, that is a tactic, um, you know, to, to get something in on time. But there's so many other things that you can do to get creative there, which I love. Yeah. And I think making sure you know what drives your customer or your champion, making sure you know what in, what they care about, that can lead to a lot of creativity too. And I guess, you know, as we're, we're starting to wrap up, I would love to know just on that point, right? How do you decipher what people care about and the why? Yeah. I've had this question before, actually. I've become really close friends with a lot of my customers. And I've had people in, in the past ask me how, how, how do you get people to care about your success as a sales rep? Like, wh- why does a customer care if you, hit, if you hit your number? And I think that just, we're all human beings, just being really human and not, not forgetting that we're, we're talking to people, we're dealing with people. Salespeople are, it's a very stressful job. You know, we have numbers that we need to hit. Some of us work for public companies. Some of us, some of us work for private companies. It's just, it's very... There's investors, there's numbers, and there's contracts, and things things push, and we get a lot of questions, and somebody wants to know something that maybe we don't know the answer to. It's it's stressful, and I think maintaining composure in front of your customers and being vulnerable in front of your customers, and you know, not letting the sales stress impact your personality and impact who you are, is really important. People people can sniff out when you're not being authentic in half a second. So, so stay, you know, being yourself and being really uh, authentic, I think is really key to engaging with, with others, not just in sales and in and, and life and relationships in general. Um, just making sure we're being authentic, I think is, is the number one most important thing. Yeah. I think it's, it speaks a lot to just the humanity of the sale. I mean, the, the reason you go with a salesperson and you don't just buy something off the site or, you know, like, I mean, not that that's the option everywhere, right? But is because you have that humanity. If you have someone, I know personally, if I'm being sold to, I want someone to give it to me real, to be upfront with me. If they have a concern, I want to hear their concern as well and not feel like everything's just fine and perfect. And this is how it's going to be. I want to, you know, see those vulnerabilities because again, I'm more likely to have that interaction with you as, as my sales rep. And, you know, as a human, then, you know, think everything's just perfect and wonderful and, um, and, and fake at the end of the day. Yeah. So um, 
as we, we really wrap up now, um, would love to know if there's just one final thought that you would leave if somebody was looking to start building that kind of friendship with um, a customer. And it doesn't have to be that you're, you know, hanging out all the time and doing stuff. But like, how do you, you know, what what is the way that you break down that wall? You know, the, the main thing that's really worked for you there. I'm a big walk the halls fan. That's a Dave Rudnitsky one, right? I, I think the more you can get in front of a customer and the more live time you can spend with somebody, the better. That's tough, specifically tough in this environment where I think we have to kind of re-engage the travel muscle. Traveling is hard. It's, it's a lot of work. It's, it takes a lot of energy. But I think if we don't start getting in front of our customers again and start entertaining our customers, I think the relationships will will suffer so just making sure that you're getting in front of your customers, walking the halls, understanding what drives people, right? I used to go for drinks with some customers. I used to go to, to Orange Theory with other customers. Depends what people want to do um, and how people want to spend their time. So being really, just making sure that you know who, you understand who you're you're talking to. Suggesting going to play golf with somebody might be a horrible, might be a horrible suggestion. That person will never respond to you ever again because they hate golf, right? But what if, what if you suggest, you know, let's go to the spa, you know, bring your customers to the spa. I've done that before too. That's a great way to get to know people. <laughs> yeah, I think I'd prefer golf. Oh, sorry. No, I would not prefer golf. I'd prefer the spa over golf. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure connecting with you again and, um, you know, really great insights across the board here. Uh, if somebody does want to get in touch with you, whether it's just to connect on LinkedIn or talk about anything enterprise sales related, or just maybe be your friend and go to Orange Theory or a spa. Uh, what's the best way for somebody to reach out to you? Yeah, LinkedIn LinkedIn is a great way. I'm, I'm always, you know, connecting with different people and networking through LinkedIn. So um, I don't know if you, you know, share links or, or whatever, but you can totally share my LinkedIn. Great. Yeah. Um, you could look it up. Isla Gold, I-L-A-G-O-L-D on LinkedIn. And yeah, thank you again so much for being here. Thanks, Jenna. Great chatting. Hey, Salespeople is a production made in partnership with Frequency Media. I'm your host, Jenna Sachs. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever podcasts are found. Thanks for listening to the Hey, Salespeople podcast. <laughs>